Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, I'm Director of ECFR and I am happy to present a very special podcast on Turkey, where it's going, um, its role in the world and its relationship with the European Union. We have just returned from a study trip to Turkey where we met with the Prime Minister, with the President's advisors, with the European Minister, with um, some of the other political parties, in particular the, the People's Democratic Party, um, and as well as representatives from the media, civil society and business. And I have three people who are part of this trip who are going to talk us through where Turkey's at. First of all, our co-chair, Emma Bonino, former Foreign Minister of Italy, former European Commissioner and a long-time investor in relations between Europe and Turkey. Second up is our Turkey uh, fellow, um, a visiting fellow who lives in Istanbul, um, Asla Aydın Tashbash. And thirdly, our Director of Programmes, Vesla Chanova, who is joining us down the line from uh, Sofia. Emma, maybe you could kick us off. Uh, how You've been going to Turkey for many, many years now, back and forth, and met pe- with people at all sorts of different levels. What were your main takeaways from the trip? Well, the, the, differently from a past uh, trip, that, but let me tell you that I've not been there even if I've been following in the past uh, three years. But in any case, what I got uh, was that the mood was really very bleak on both sides, from the, let's say, civil society and the uh, business uh, and etc. The main point I got is that Europe is not on their map uh, and on their priority, uh, as if they were totally, let's say, disillusioned, um, saying, well, uh, whatever is happening in Turkey, the only thing that interests you is the, the refugees issue uh, and, and nothing else. Um, the, so um that they as if they were not anymore uh, expecting nothing from uh, from europe in one way or another the second point i got from the establishment uh, was a sort of a, a posture a posture that well we are in a good shape we don't need anything uh, it's you that you need us for the refugees or to which you are totally obsessed um but, uh, and uh, by the way, when we were there just uh, the, the day after or the day before, um, there was this leak of the documents of the meeting uh, in November, Juncker, Tusk, uh, and uh, Erdogan. That was quite appalling from my point of view. Um, uh, but uh, the, the, the posture of uh, uh, the establishment was uh, quite a confident uh, uh, um, so even if we think that not only they don't have zero problems uh, with the neighbors, uh, the fact is that they have also no solution. Uh, but um, I had the impression that uh, they they played with us uh, uh, a posture and uh, of uh, of uh, confidence. Um, the the opposition that we we met, it's evident they are squeezed from uh, both sides and in a very very difficult, in a very difficult situation. Um, so uh, all in all, uh, I had the feeling that 
they they are not none of them is expecting much from Europe. Uh, some are resentful uh, from from uh, uh, the Europe uh, Europe uh, position. Some others are quite indifferent. Uh, it doesn't bode very well uh, in terms of uh, of uh, willingness of uh, engaging. But in the meantime, in the last few days, of course, the things have changed also, and the rumors uh, or news that uh, they are in the base of uh, Insirlik uh, uh, near Adana, uh, amassing uh, uh, weaponry uh, with Saudi Arabia and troops and etc., uh, uh, is quite worrying. And finally, when we went to Gaziantep, uh, Gaziantep and speaking with people around there, it's uh, the UN and others, well, it's clear that they are using the, the refugees, uh, uh, even if they claim that the border is open. In fact, the border is not open, in, if not for emergency cases. Uh, and on the other side, uh, they are amassing more or less 80,000, uh, 90,000 refugees. And uh, I don't know if they think is a de facto zone or as an alibi or excuse that uh, to protect them, quote-unquote, uh, they, with Saudi Arabia, will get in. Uh, in so doing, just uh, preventing the Kurds uh, to join uh, their territories in, in order to, to close completely the Turkish border. So then we had the, the fragile, let's say, compromise in Munich, and I don't know where we are standing, but uh, it started in any case a happy and very fragile, and uh, I, I don't think uh, I, I'm not so sure it will hold. Okay, well, it's pretty bleak on lots of different fronts. Maybe we can try and um, break it down into uh, some of the key elements. Um, uh, I mean, I, I think what's interesting for me about the trip was the way that that international situation that you've been describing, Emma, is linked up with domestic politics through the Kurdish issue. So maybe, um, Asla, maybe you can take us firstly into the domestic uh, issue and tell us where um, we're at there and how the international issues are being used by the by the president to deal with the the um with his domestic situation and then maybe after that we can go back to the syrian questions which you were raising emma um and uh go into that in a bit more depth before finally thinking about the the relationship with the eu and and to what extent there is an opening to what extent we can actually help each other out or whether we're simply in danger of uh, of having another crisis of expectations but Asa, tell us about the the internal uh, situation first well um just like Emma said, there's very much a sense uh, that uh, we are at the crossroads and some historical juncture. And, uh, you know, it's often on both sides of the political aisle with the, those critical of the government or the, those that are pro-government. You'd hear the words thrown in like the dark side, end of the tunnel, what, what, what is at the end of the tunnel, battle for the defense of Anatolia, etc., so there is very much a sense that we are going through not just a tumultuous period, but a period that will determine the fate of this country. And so why? On basically on three key topics. One, regime change. There is very much of an effort on the part of uh, Turkish president and backed by uh, his uh, AKP, Ruling Justice and Development Party, for a constitutional reform package that will be 
a very sweeping uh, piece of legislation, not just make, uh, drafting a new constitution, but changing the regime, uh, the nature of the regime in Turkey to a more of a US-style presidential system. Erdogan has been very open about his desire for this, and it's creating a good deal of tension within the system, not only with the uh, opposition parties and society, Turkish society being so polarized, but also even within AKP, people like Abdullah Gül and senior founders of AKP have been coming out saying, you know, expressing uh, very much doubts about criticism of the new system. But it is in itself a major issue that is um, the source of tensions in domestic politics. Related to that, there's two other issues. And they all are interrelated. This is very important. Turkey's Kurdish issue is at an explosive stage. There have been basically a very serious uh, insurgency in key towns with the breakdown of talks, peace talks between PKK and the uh, Turkish government this summer. Um, there has been a string of self-rule declarations of autonomy in towns that are adjacent to the Syrian border where the Kurds already have established self-rule. Uh, you know, if only Turkey's refugee issue could be isolated and, and just dealt with as, as part of the Turkish-EU dialogue. But it's very clear to me and to, I think to many people in Turkey that the refugee issue is related to the Syria, Syrian issue, which is related to the Kurdish issue and the sort of violence in Turkey, which is... I'm talking about a military fully mobilized in uh, places like downtown Cizre and Sur district and downtown... Diyarbakir and casualties that are now over 500, you know, uh, it, it's very clear that this is very much related to uh, the Kurdish uh, gains in Syria. What we heard, for example, when we visited Diyarbakir uh, from Kurdish leaders uh, was very much the sense that they think that ultimate reason for the collapse of peace talks was because the Kurds were advancing so fast and create, essentially uh, creating a, a flank, a, a zone on Turkey's southern border. Uh, now, uh, Turkey has kind of uh, reprioritized, coming to the Syrian issue, third topic, Turkey has re prioritized an entire, has done an entire uh, redrafting of its Syria policy uh, having very much a sense that they are on the losing side of the equation, that with the Russians entering the war, uh, they have um, they don't really have a very clear strategy to take the upper hand, let alone be at the peace table. But the priority now seems to be preventing the PYD, that is to say the Syrian Kurds, from taking over the remainder, tiny spot on the border that's left. I mean, the, Turkey had... You know, go back a couple of years, Turkey had been uh, positioning itself as the player, and ultimately, the you know, the ultimate uh, guarantor of Syria. That was the talk, that was the language, that's how uh, Turkey entered the Syrian civil war, that's how, why they were supporting the groups they were supporting. Fast forward four years, and now what we're seeing is Turkey so desperate, really, in many ways, uh, and unable to change the course of the uh, Kurdish advances in Syria, and resigned to just keeping uh, about, uh, you know, keeping its presence across on the other side of the border, 
where the refugees are, that are flee fleeing Aleppo are now settled. So what, it, what this is, is Azaz area, uh, a couple of kilometers from the Turkish border. And it's an area where the Russians continue to bomb. There was a bombing, uh, this round of bombing this morning, where the refugees are settled. They're settled between Azaz and the Turkish border. And this is the area Turkey wants as a safe zone. And I think Emma is right in pointing out that there's definitely talk of going ahead and trying to establish a de facto, not an official, but a de facto safe zone with the Saudis. But so far, there has not been a green light from Turkey's allies, from NATO uh, or United States. And the truth, the truth is, uh, the Russians are not showing any signs of abating their air campaign. So it's very much a, a, a chaotic, but also a, sort of a, a dark period for Turkey. It, a couple of years ago, there was a self of overconfidence, self-confidence, but almost an overconfidence. We're going to be the key player in reshaping the Middle East after the Arab war, Arab Spring was the thought, and Syria would ultimately be more or less an enclave of Turkey. Was the thought on the it was the talk on the street. Today, it's like you're lucky if you can get the Kurds out of Azaz, which is three to five kilometers from our border. So. Vesla, when we were in Turkey, we spoke to various people um, who were very worried about uh, this situation escalating if Turkey tries to keep the border closed and create a, a de facto safe zone. Uh, what happens if the Russians carry on uh, bombing? It sounds like that's happening. I mean, how much of a danger is there of, a, of, a, of an escalation and of NATO actually ending up in a war with Russia? I think this is the key question today, uh, especially given the recent uh, shelling in the last two days uh, uh, from the Turkish side, but also what we see um, in and around Aleppo, Russians continuing bombing, uh, now a hospital as well. These um, are small incidents that can easily grow to a larger one. Um, and that would, of course, implicate NATO, uh, as Turkey is a NATO member. Um, what we have seen in the last weeks is uh, more and more a very uh, a Turkey with the feeling of being cornered, um, Turkey f with the feeling of being isolated and abandoned, and this. Um, sense of, uh, of isolation, of insecurity is very dangerous, uh, especially when we are talking about an armed conflict. And we should be very much aware of that. It seems that the three main actors in, in Syria, uh, the US, Russia and Turkey, who have been more or less acting through proxies uh, until a couple of months ago, are now starting to become more and more involved, the U.S. being the only ones who shy away from uh, any involvement in that uh, uh, kind of north, uh, northern part of, of Syria. But um, it, it, it seems to me that the fact that uh, um, Turkey sees a Russian-U.S. agreement exacerbates really that feeling of insecurity, because they understand that such an agreement would be of benefit to the Syrian Kurds, uh, to PYD, and this is, of course, a, a matter of, of national security for them. On the other hand, as Emma pointed out, uh, they do not rely really on the on the EU. Uh, 
Um, the U.S. Uh, seems to be really uh, very passive um, in their view. So the Munich Agreement um, is already now uh, kind of um, not holding. Um, and uh, I also don't see enough incentive for all the actors involved to keep it alive. And as I said, there there is also Turkey who, who feels... Um, actually much more um, unhappy with it and much more willing to to do to go its own way even if uh, necessary by uh, using uh, refugees at, at its border or even deploying its own forces inside Syria. So Emma maybe we could come back to the question which you started which was the relationship between Europe and Turkey. I mean one of the interesting things about our trip was a lot of people remarked on this paradox that when Turkey was moving towards Europe in terms of its domestic reforms was uh, implementing large chunks of the acquis communautaire um, there was a lot of uh, reluctance from many member states to, to have a really strong strategic relationship with Turkey and to talk about these big issues and now that Turkey domestically seems to be going in exactly the opposite direction <laughs> Many member states are desperate to 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 bring Turkey closer because of the refugee crisis. Um, how much of a of an opening do you think there is? I mean, you were pretty pessimistic in your opening remarks about uh, how much of a real opening uh, there is. But what does the uh, political attention being uh, shown to Turkey mean for Turkey-EU relations? And how much of it goes beyond Berlin? Because we heard from the Turkish Prime Minister that he'd met Angela Merkel, I think, seven times in the last two months, which is pretty uh, remarkable. Mm. Well, I basically, uh, uh, at the substance, I don't think many things have changed from the European side. The country were against uh, a stronger or accession or accession are still against. Uh, the question uh, for Merkel uh, is the refugees, uh, and uh, she she is trying to do whatever it is to show that she is in charge and she can do something. Um, by the way, the, the the decision of deploying three boats from NATO, uh, it's frankly speaking, I don't know what these boats are supposed to do, nobody knows by the way. Uh, in any case, uh, uh, in the substance, I don't think that many countries have realized that really we need a stronger relation uh, with Turkey. We are back to, to square one plus the refugee uh, emergency, but there is no willingness, in my opinion, uh, uh, on the capitals to really strengthen the relation towards uh, uh, accession, um, but they are willing to please Erdogan uh, uh, in order to facilitate the, 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 the refugee issue. So the visa maybe will be given, um, but um, uh, I, I don't think that basically and in substance uh, uh, the mood has changed from the European side. That is my feeling talking with Paris or other capitals, so they are just willing to, under the pressure from Merkel, to deliver something uh, in order to have Turkey more willing to help us on, uh, on, on the refugees. But on the substance, I don't think there is a change of mind. And on the 
ability of Turkey to deliver on the refugees? Do you think that they are willing or able to help Merkel? Well, I think they are simply negotiating and using the refugees to negotiate. Um, by the way, they have uh, they declared that they have two million five hundred thousand, and then uh, they can cope with more. Which, by the way, is also what we in Europe uh, uh, could be able to to cope, but uh, we don't do it for internal electoral reason from country to country. Um, uh, but um, I, I am. Not even sure that uh, Turkey realizes that they need us. Uh, not even from the economic point of view, even if it's clear that the economy is not brilliant and that the most investment still comes from Europe. Um, but uh, I, I would like to ask you, I didn't have the feeling that Turkey feels isolated so much or they didn't show it. Uh, and I'm I'm not sure they are aware that they need uh, a stronger relations with Europe. What What do you think, Asla? I mean, you you live in Turkey, you read the media, you uh, talk to the political class. How much is the the kind of self confidence that that we heard pure bluster and a sign of insecurity? Well, there is a very clear resentment that goes around towards Europe, a language that's. Uh, that clearly expresses disappointment, and at times, just like Erdogan did this week, outright anger, uh, frustrated with Americans, particularly the Obama administration for not uh, basically overthrowing Assad, but in more uh, more specifically lately for supporting the Syrian Kurds, frustration with Russia because of their air campaign and because Erdogan felt he had been so close to Putin on, on so many levels. Frustration with Europeans because, of course, people understand here, even those that are negotiating this very deal understand that this is transactional and just as Emma said, it's not really going to result in Turkey-EU membership uh, anytime soon or perhaps anytime. So I think that the mood in the country, both with those that are, both with the decision makers and those that are sort of, uh, and in the public opinion that is uh, shaped by AKP is everybody's trying to do wrong and we're all on our own. And uh, of course, you know, there's Turkey's burgeon, has burgeoning relationships with Saudis and Qataris and all, but, but the Saudis are not, uh, you know, but these countries are not in uh, Turkish public's imagination. They do not exist as allies, friends. If When I look at polls, polling data in terms of who actually is Turkey's friend, still it's the European Union that really comes out on top. It, of course, depends on who you ask. If you ask Kurds, it's something. If you ask AKP public, it's something else. But it's not Iran. It's not, you know, Russia. These are two countries that Turkey had been clo AKP government had been close to. It's not Israel. Turkey's trying to normalize its relationship with Israel now. It's not this. It's not that. So there's very much a deep, just as Vesela has pointed out, I think, uh, sense of abandonment and I do agree that it is uh, this is something I had not experienced before but although uh, perhaps in the 70s and uh, in the run-up to the Iraq war there was a sim similar sentiment in the country but I do agree that it is potentially something uh, that could uh, that that could be dangerous 
Yeah, so Vesta, maybe so we can to end on a on a practical note, what do you think the EU could actually do to make the relationship better to to put to forward its goals and what are the biggest risks that Europeans should be avoiding? I think the EU should really try to talk to Turkey beyond uh, the refugee issue. Um, it seems really that Turkey has been instrumentalizing the refugee issue to get a stronger hand in bargaining uh, with the EU on things that it cares about internally, like the visa liberalization uh, issue. But um, I think the EU should really... Um, broaden its scope of, of dialogue with Turkey. We have uh, common issues to, to discuss, including uh, not only Syria, but Russia. Russia, for the first time, is a very um, adversarial actor, uh, both for Turkey and for the EU, uh, for the first time in uh, quite some time. And uh, um, with the level of uh, not only unpredictedness, but also of readiness to use force, uh, Russia is a challenge uh, in very similar way uh, to Turkey and to the EU. But there is also, of course, uh, um, there are also other issues, uh, issues like energy, uh, issues uh, like, uh, if you will, the customs union and so on, uh, that we can, we can talk about. In terms of risks, um, what really worries me is... Um, how the next couple of months are going to uh, play out this um, readiness to escalate both on the side of uh, Russia and on the side of Turkey creates for a very volatile situation in Syria. Um, the team uh, who went to, uh, to uh, Gaziantep uh, together with Emma came back with a very disturbing uh, account of uh, the extremely severe situation in and around Aleppo with a lot of uh, people, up to one and a half million, um, who would be the victims of uh, further bombing. And, uh, and this is something that we should be really uh, watching very carefully. Uh, it's very obvious uh, for what reasons, but... Uh, um, an immediate European response will be demanded uh, if such a, a critical development happens. What kind of, res uh, of response would you, are you uh, uh, thinking to? Financial support or what? I mean, the first is, of course, the humanitarian side. Uh, there should be a kind of a UN mandate to, to deal with the humanitarian side of it. But frankly, I think Europe should be also ready to uh, to deploy some kind of, if you if you will, peacekeeping there, because this is a very very big thing. We have not seen something like this before. Yeah, I doubt it. I doubt, doubt if there is any willingness to deploy peacekeeping without the UN mandate. And uh, I will no, work. no, with 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 UN mandate. I Even mean, if it is a UN mandate, a pure peacekeeping depends on the mandate that they have. We yeah. had around Srebrenica a lot of peacekeepers, and that, that has been a disaster. So we should be able to learn from it. Yeah, exactly. I find. Yeah. Exactly. So when if you send the uh, so-called, well, you don't send peacekeepers. You 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 send peacemakers, but that. Uh, <laughs> That doesn't fly. Um, so we are really against the wall. 
you send a peacekeeping with the mandate of what? Of firing before or just defending themselves or defending no one? Uh, to be observers? To be what? So... Uh, when when I, I I would would watch very carefully uh, if any resolution comes, what is the mandate of the people who will be sent there? I think the Bosnian example is is not a bad example. I mean, it's a terrible example if we watch Srebrenica, but uh, the rest of it is actually the example of a good of a successful intervention. So we yeah, should not right. say but we're then, not able of doing right, this. You are right, But then at that time when we went in. Uh, uh, it, uh, there was a peace to keep. Now yeah. I don't see any peace to be kept, uh, and uh, and I don't think the the Munich uh, agreement uh, will hold. I've just come back from from Munich, um, and I have to say that um, when they asked different European leaders uh, what they thought the chances of it holding were, uh, Lavrov said it was forty nine percent. And um, uh, the British Foreign Secretary, Philip Hammond, said it was close to 0%. And I think that he was maybe closer to the, to the new conventional wisdom. Um, and also, I don't know if you realise that the Hawaii representative was nowhere to be seen in this agreement. I think that the whole question about Europe's involvement in the peace negotiations in Syria is, is a whole extra podcast that we need to hold. It is an incredible situation where government after government is uh, under enormous pressure because of the numbers of people coming from Syria. And yet we seem to be simple spectators as other powers are setting all of the, the terms on the ground and in the peace negotiations around Syria. But also uh, because she is in charge with the commissioner of humanitarian aid. So for me, the, 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 the right position of Europe is just this picture of Kerry Lavrov de Mistura. Where where Europe was, nowhere it's nowhere to be seen. And that is a pretty um, sobering way of ending what I think has been a, a very sobering discussion about uh, about Turkey and the regional dynamics around Syria and the future relationship with the European Union. Thank you very much to to all three of you for for taking part in the discussion. We are putting links up to writings about the Turkey situation, the Syrian situation and Europe's relationship with them all on our website, which is at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts from Emma Bonino, Asli Aydin Tashbash, Vesa Chanova and myself, Mark Leonard. It's goodbye for now. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Ulrike Franke and our editor is Katarina Botel-Atinaro.